And he, that is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they always ought to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that they might touch him. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I'll just pray for the um, preaching of the word as well. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that as your word is spoken to us this morning, that you would give us ears to hear it and that you would give us a heart that longs to receive instruction, even rebuke. Um, Lord, um, correct us and train us for righteousness. And um, Lord, I pray that, uh, that the words that are spoken would be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jared. I'd like you to cast your mind back to the time when you first committed your life to Christ. Think about that for a second. Was there fanfare? Was there a sense of achievement? Was it a proud moment? I would assume that for the majority of us, it was a quiet moment where the call of God spoke to us. And in our quietness, responded to the call and accepted God's invitation or offer 
for Jesus to pay our price. And it was such a simple yes. The yes was with humility, total dependence, full trust, frank openness and complete sincerity. Our lives were laid bare and we answered God's call at a point where we had nowhere to turn but to God. It was a simple yes, and our faith at that point was simple. No expectations, just plain, simple faith. So is your faith still simple? It would have grown, of course, but have we put extras into our faith? Have we complicated it? How do we approach God? Jesus is saying in verse 17 that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, Jesus is not saying that you can only come to him at a young age. But he is saying that we need to have the qualities of a little child. Humility, total dependence, full trust, frank openness, and complete sincerity. In other words, a lack of holier-than-thou attitudes. Now, not all children exhibit all these traits, but they are common enough for the comparison that Jesus made to make sense. So I'd like to look at these character traits in relation to our faith. And um, so I've actually got four points today. And the first one is humility. Now, in the Old Testament, the Greek word for, um, for, for humility would mean repentance or contrition. And if we look back to our passage, there is an example of humility and how we should approach God. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes, lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, the way not to approach God is what the Pharisee did. And I was thinking that the, um, the, the me bank that you see on TV, that would be a really suitable bank for this Pharisee because it's me, 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 me. But we don't approach, we don't approach God with me. We approach God with humility. And even praying, we need to have the right attitude. In Psalm 51, David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If we come to God with a shopping list, we are not approaching God humbly. Can you imagine ordering God to do something? That seems scary. Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew 6. 
This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Jesus taught that when we pray, we give God all the honour. We give God all the thanks. We ask God for our daily needs. We ask God for our forgiveness. And ask that we learn how to forgive others. We ask God to keep us from falling into temptation and that Satan will be bound. And then we finish by giving God the glory. If we pray this way, if we come to God this way, it makes us humble. Another way of thinking of humility is, is not thinking about ourselves. It's pretty much impossible to have a holier-than-thou attitude when you pray this way. The second characteristic is total dependence. Human nature is inherently evil. We can't save ourselves from our destruction. In Psalm 21, verse 7, we read, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Psalm 22, 4, David writes, In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. David says, I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Psalm 31.6 says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. The kingdom of God belongs to those who, like children, are fully dependent on God and prepared to receive the kingdom of God as a gift from God. Do we have the ability to pay the price for our sins? Psalm 25, David writes, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Saviour. My hope is in you all day long. We rely on God to wash us whiter than snow, as David puts it in Psalm 51. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Only God can cleanse us from our sin. If we had the ability to take away our sins by following the law or offering sacrifices, we would not need God. But God gave the law to show that we can't do it on our own. 
we don't measure up. Third characteristic, frank openness. God already knows our hearts. God already knows what we're going to say to him, but we need to come to him with openness. It's like wearing your heart on your sleeve, but God already knows. We know from the account of Genesis where we read, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. But the Lord, called, Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I have heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, God wasn't playing Marco Polo with Adam and Eve. He knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. But in their wisdom, they thought they had to hide themselves because they were naked. They were ashamed. We can't hide from God. But if we think we can try to hide things from God, we're really fooling ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, says, to get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the Passover festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth have you ever listened to a child tell a story every detail and if it's really bad we can see some emotions coming through but the story is really simple as adults we tend to stretch the story to get the best effect. Like if we can tell a great story, people will listen to us. Do you know the story? And the fish was this big. It was huge. But when we come to God, we don't need to stretch our story because God already knows us. We need to let our emotions into the open. God knows them anyway. If we have a relationship with a person, do we not show our emotions? So why not show them to God? Trying to hide ourselves from God is foolish. Do you remember the account of the Samaritan woman at the well? In John 4, we read, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, the Samaritan woman may not have been trying to hide anything from God, but God knew her, knew her history and knew her current status. God wants all of our lives, not just part of it. Jesus gave all of himself for us when he died on the cross and rose again. He paid the full price for our sins. 
He didn't just make a deposit and say, oh, I'll pay the rest later. He paid once and for all. So why try to hide things or not give our life fully to God? It's our sinful nature that convinces us that we can give part of ourselves to God and hold the rest. I know in my heart that I am a child of God and I'm no longer a slave to sin and fear, as Zach Williams wrote in the song, No Longer Slaves. But it's so easy to try and keep control of the areas in our lives we don't want to let go of, which is in effect hiding stuff from God. So if I'm a child of God, why do I try to hide or hold back from God? I think everybody has that struggle. Even Paul did. He said that he does not, he does what he does not want to do and does not do what he wants to do. That's man's common flaw. It's a bit like a child who has chocolate on his face and mum says, did you eat the cake, chocolate cake, when I told you not to? The little boy says, no. Mum says, so why is there chocolate all over your face? It just got there. We need to be fully open with God. The fourth characteristic is complete sincerity. We need to come to God with authenticity. Have you ever wondered whether someone really is a Christian? While I was preparing this message, I was thinking, why would our Prime Minister offer a, a religious discrimination bill when he knows that there will be discrimination against the body of Christ and Christian schools? Is he really a Christian? What about the language that some of the Christians use. It makes you wonder if they are really truly saved because their language, their talk is no different from non-Christians. I know I shouldn't judge because God is the only one who should judge. But then sometimes I think that my own sin would disqualify me from being a Christian or even sharing God's word. In other words, how can I continue to call myself a Christian yet fall back into sin? I'm judging myself by what I think, not by God's standard. Then I remembered the words of a song that we sang two weeks ago. He will hold me fast and they go like this. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he would hold me fast. I can never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Brought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. 
For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight. When he comes at last. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my saviour loves me so. He will hold me fast. God is in the business of changing lives. And he's changing mine. I'm sure he's changing yours. But Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The evidence is in our lives being changed to be more like God. This has been authentic. This is complete sincerity. I know that Jesus is the real deal. What about you? I know that Jesus is authentic. He created the world and everything in it, including mankind. He lowered himself to become a man, to be born, to live, to be tempted, but not to sin to feel anxious, overwhelmed, forsaken, and every other human emotion, to die but to rise again from the dead on the third day. Jesus paid the price for our sins so that no one else can pay our debt. He did this because of his authentic love for each one of us. How authentic is our faith? How authentic is our life in Christ. Can the world see Jesus in you, in me, by the way we live our lives, by our love? There was a tragic accident in Sydney last year where four children were hit by a drunk driver and killed. We all know the story. But the thing that stood out to me was even though the family was grieving, their faith allowed them to look past their grief and publicly announced that they forgive the driver. That to me is authentic faith. We murdered Jesus, yet God still loves each one of us. We would be very foolish to say that God's love for us is not authentic. Just think about it. God created everything, then he created mankind. He knew what would happen, he knew that mankind would rebel against him. He knew that the law was given. He knew that the law given to man could not be achieved. He had already planned that Jesus would live and die for each one of us. Yet God's authenticity is shown in the fact that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13 tells us just that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. And forever he has loved each one of us before we were conceived and even though man rebelled god still and will love us it's authentic so let's get back to the original verse in our passage today where jesus says truly i tell you anyone who will not receive the kingdom of god like a little child will never enter it do you come to God and is your faith like a little child? 
I'm asking myself the same question. Not in age, but in simplicity. Do we come or do we have humility, total dependence, full trust, frank openness and complete sincerity? We are told in Hebrews 13 verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. That's simplicity. Not, eat, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. That's complication. If we add complication to our faith, to our life in Christ, we're saying to God that we don't think his way is the only way, that we know better. We actually call God a liar and Jesus' death and resurrection did not pay our price for our sins. The simple faith is this, John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Each time we come to God, we need to be like a child because we are coming to our Father. We have been adopted into the family of God. We are his children. Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Can you hear God calling you to him? Little child, come. Let's pray. Well, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning, asking us to come simply to you like a little child and have all the characteristics of a little child in our faith. Lord, I pray that you'll grow our faith, but you'll keep us simple and help us to show your love to others in Jesus' name. Amen.